Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns with me, Abby Rancor. This podcast is a place to learn about faith, theology, politics, history, and some fun random things along the way. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of A Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining me. I meant to mention last week, but I will I forgot, so I'll mention this week. We have hit over 500 streams of this podcast, so thank you all so much for listening um, the past couple months. I so appreciate it and I am excited to hit 500. Maybe one day we'll hit 500,000, um, but no, every listen I super, super appreciate. So thank you all for listening. Um, this week's episode seems like it might be a clickbaity title, but it is true. The title is Why I'm Not a Feminist. And you might be thinking, what? How, how are you a woman and not a feminist? And I will answer that question for you over the course of this episode. Basically, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. I believe in equal rights between men and women. However, today's feminism is not anything I really want to be a part of. This modern feminist third wave feminism stuff is not something that I like to identify with. And so I'm going to be walking through the history of feminism what each different wave kind of was and what movements were associated with each wave of feminism. And then I want to take this feminism quiz because I found a website that that breaks down the five types of feminism and tells you which, uh, like what percentage of which ones you are. So I'm going to be doing all of that today and I would highly encourage you to go on my like Instagram post about, you know, the announcement of this episode and go tell me what your thoughts on this are. I know a lot of women, especially like conservatives, do not identify with the feminism label because they feel like it's gotten too radical in the past years. I don't know anyone who like doesn't want the right to vote or doesn't want like legal uh, equality, but the question is more about if we have already kind of obtained the goals that feminism originally seeks to meet. So uh, let's start with the definition of feminism. The definition of feminism is this. Uh, It means the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of sexes. That is the traditional definition of feminism. And with that, I agree with. If that was still kind of what feminism meant, uh, I would probably be all on board. However, there's like more nuanced connotations that go along with that definition now, which I'll get more into. But um, that is the traditional definition of feminism. And again, I would agree that we should have equal rights and equal opportunity based off of gender. So there should be like no consideration of gender in legal terms. Um, But of course, that is not necessarily what feminism just strictly means now. And so I'm going to go through the waves of feminism. Now, this is interesting because I've always heard that there are three waves of feminism. Obviously, they just call them the first wave, second wave, and third wave. However, there is talk that there's a fourth wave where um, the third wave, no one really knows what, like, when it started officially or if it's ended or if it's still going. And so some people break up a third wave um, earlier and then say we're kind of in a fourth wave. But I will go through the waves and then differentiate where there's confusion about each wave because the first two are pretty pretty uh, universally accepted. So the first wave I've seen labeled as starting in 1848. However, on my timeline, I put it as 
1792 because Mary Wollstonecraft, who was very, very influential in the feminist movement, published something called The Vindication of the Rights of Women. That came out in 1792. And it was read and stuff for decades before anything really happened. I mean, there was a growing sentiment that women wanted the right to vote and wanted equal rights and stuff like that. But um, she published that in 1792. Not everyone officially counts that as the first as the start of the first wave, but it definitely like started planting the seeds of the first wave feminism. A lot of people say that the official start was in 1848, which is when there was something called the Senecia or Seneca. It must be Senecia Falls. Um, 200 women met in a church in Senecia Falls, New York, and they wrote 12 resolutions for uh, women's rights. And they put specific rights like, uh, the right to education and the right to vote. So that was like the big milestone event that a lot of people say kicked off the first wave of feminism. However, the sentiment was there from 1792 and earlier when other women were publishing uh, things about equal rights. But 1848 was the first big like meeting of women to talk about very specific things that they wanted the right to do. Um. It was mostly things like the right to vote and and specific legal rights where women were not getting um, the same legal opportunities. However, I found an article that said that reproductive rights played a part. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird because I thought that, you know, Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, which most of the time when people talk about reproductive rights, a lot of times they talk about Roe v. Wade or surrounding legislation around Roe v. Wade. So I looked specifically into reproductive rights during first wave feminism. And Margaret Sanger, who actually opened up Planned Parenthood, uh, had a large part to play in first wave feminism. Even though the right to like abortion, which is a terrible right, I can't still it flabbergasts me how we have that as a law, but um, that didn't get passed till 1973. However, the roots of it started way back in 1914. So Margaret Sanger in 1914 coined the term birth control and she began, she began a campaign to make contraceptives legal and available to, to all women in the U S now I'll probably do an entire episode about birth control because I, my opinions have changed about it many times um, over the course of my life. I think I'm at this point fine with birth control that is preventative um, as long as it doesn't cause a conceived uh, embryo to die. So I know some birth controls will um, prevent the egg from being fertilized, but some will allow an egg to be fertilized and just not implant, which I am not for that kind. So it gets pretty nuanced. And I think I need to make a whole episode about that because I've really gone up and down. And at one point I was like very sold on natural family planning. At one point I was like totally fine with birth control. And I think I've now fallen somewhere in the middle where it has to be very, very specific. Um, and pretty much a guarantee that it's not causing an abortion. Anyway, that is besides the point. But Margaret Sanger coined the term birth control in 1914. Um, in 1916, she opened the first birth control clinic, which 
um, was not was it was against the law. So New York actually uh, arrested her for ma- maintaining a public nuisance because she was giving out uh, birth control to women and she was sentenced to jail for 30 days. Apparently she got arrested a bunch more times um, for giving out contraceptives and stuff like that. As soon as she was out of jail, she reopened her birth control clinic and was giving out a lot of contraceptives. So then in also in 1916, she published a birth control review, like a, um, like a little mini newspaper sort of thing to educate the public about contraception. Uh, in 1918, there was a court case called the People versus Sanger, which reversed the criminal convictions against Sanger because they said that they were unconstitutional because the um, because those criminal convictions infringed on women's rights by forcing them to conceive more children than they want. I think this court case is really where the downfall of America with the abortion debate starts because it's saying that um, convicting someone for handing out contraception uh, is infringing on someone's rights to not conceive more children than they want, which, um, you know, I get it. I get that birth control. I'm okay, I guess, with birth control. The problem is, is that there's no, this is where the personal responsibility gets completely taken away from people in my opinion from women because they they the reason for saying that is unconstitutional is because it's forcing them to conceive more children than they want when you know 99% of the time abortion or you know unplanned pregnancy are not because of like abuse or rape or anything like that it's most of the time because someone chose to engage in that activity with someone else and then they got pregnant so I don't know how to feel about this court case because, um, yes, I agree. I think that like most forms of birth control are probably okay. However, I don't like the fact that they're saying that it is a, like, you have to have this and it should not be illegal in any sense just because of the reasoning that, Um, You're forcing them to conceive more children than they want. When in reality, 99% of the time, no one is forcing you to conceive a child that you don't want. It's because there was a lack of planning or a lack of knowledge about um, what's going on and a lack of responsibility to say, I don't want a child yet. Let me not engage in this activity with someone else that could result in a child. So I don't know. I have mixed reviews about it, but I think this is really the roots of Roe v. Wade right here. Um, In 1920, this was very interesting. I had always heard that Margaret Sanger was a racist and a eugenicist. Um, But I, I don't know. I didn't necessarily believe a lot of that just because, you know, people can say whatever they want online. However, there is a quote from her that she published in 1920 that said, birth control is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit and preventing the birth of defectives. So she wasn't even, she didn't even really care about women's rights. It didn't seem like, I mean, I guess she cared about women's rights, but she really cared about weeding out the unfit and preventing defectives, which is like people with disabilities. 
like you can't argue that this whole thing has always been just about women. It is about making a better race. At least it was for Margaret Sanger. She also put many, many abortion clinics in minority neighborhoods so that the population of minorities in an extremely racist time would be uh, limited and that there would be less minorities born. If you look, many, many, many Planned Parenthoods were planted right in minority neighborhoods. And this is all happening around the time that people are getting, uh, are, people are becoming more welcoming to the idea of women voting. So um, that is how reproductive rights, quote unquote rights, played a part in first wave feminism. And um, that kind of trend of more contraception and the fight for abortion continues um, past 1920, but 1920 is where the first wave technically ends. And that is because in 1920, Congress passed the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And I did look at this and like one of the biggest complaints about second wave feminism was fixing the fact that the first wave of feminism was like they say that the first wave was racist and the first wave of feminism was essentially for white women, which was kind of corrected or tried to be corrected in the second wave. But Margaret Sanger, which is like the Planned Parenthood hero founder person, um, the left says that she's like all this heroic lady was, turns out she was like pretty racist and a eugenicist. So um, yeah, that's not, not great. Uh, okay, so the second wave started in 1963 and went to roughly 1980. So in 1963, Betty Friedan published something called The Feminist Mystique. And that book came out. Um, it was kind of like piggybacked off of Simone Beauvoir's book called Second Sex. Uh, that came out in 1949 in France, but then it was released in 1953 in the U.S., um, so this thought process of like whatever second wave feminism was defined as was, uh, circulating around this time, but Betty Friedan's book, uh, really had a lot of impact. There were like 3 million copies sold. It was widespread. Many, many women read this and they told their friends about it. it like the spread was massive. So that's really what kicked off the second wave of feminism, um, and it talks about the, quote, problem that has no name. So it was, like, really talking about systemic sexism, um, fighting against the idea that taught that women's place was in the home. Uh, basically, there was an idea that if you're unhappy as a housewife, then you're broken. And so she argued that the fault with that wasn't with the woman, but it was that the world was saying that you can't use your like creative and intellectual, basically that women couldn't use their minds. Um, which I, I have mixed views about the second wave because there's part of me that, that likes the traditional gender roles of like women taking care more of kids because they are more naturally nurturing and naturally more caring and stuff like that. So I think that part of that is good. I also think that women should have the freedom to be, to be able to go into the workforce if they so choose. For example, like my grandma really liked math in middle school. And one of her teachers said like, you shouldn't be in this advanced math class. You're just going to be a typist. And that's not 
good. I mean, that was what the time, uh, you know, that was what happened at that time. But that's really what second wave feminism was fighting against because it was basically like your only option was in the home and you were just supposed to get married and work in the home. Now I think it's better because if you don't want to or if you don't want kids or if you aren't married yet or something like that, you have more options to go pursue. However, I do think it works pretty well in traditional gender roles, like that the woman is more in charge of like kids and housework and stuff. That might not be the case for everyone, but I don't think that women should be like trapped into those because every couple is different. I just think for my personal house, for my personal home, that's how we more are going to try to do it. Um, but I think that you should have options. So that part of second wave feminism, I can get behind for sure. So in this second wave of feminism, there were some big legal milestones. So in 1963, the Equal Pay Act was passed that outlawed the gender pay gap. You could not pay anyone different based on their gender. Uh, There was a series of Supreme Court cases that gave women the right to use birth control. So again, decriminalizing birth control, which, um, yeah, I have mixed feelings on. Again, I think that birth control can be okay, but there is, with birth control comes a lot of um, irresponsible habits, practices, and just a lack of personal responsibility in general if it's used wrong. I'm not saying everyone on birth control is being irresponsible, but there is definitely a correlation between the rise in birth control in the country and the rise of, um, like casual sex, I would say. Um, title nine is, was passed for education equality and the big one in 1973 Roe v. Wade was passed. This is disgusting to me. And I think if you've listened to my podcast before, you probably know my stance about abortion, but, um, Roe v. Wade just disgusts me in general. It's murder, in my opinion, disguised as women's rights. And part of the reason why I can't get behind feminism today is because feminists are always, it seems, uh, pro-choice. Like, you cannot be a modern-day feminist and be pro-life. I would 100% count myself as a feminist if it meant we legally get all these things. Like, I think Title IX is, is great. Equal Pay Act is great. But the reproductive side of feminism today is basically just saying, like, we should have the right to have as much sex as we want, as irresponsible as we want, and have an abortion as birth control. I don't like that, and I don't think that has a part in feminism. I think the true feminist point of view on this is to say, okay, if I have an unplanned pregnancy, okay, you made a mistake, that's fine. Um you are strong enough as a woman to raise this child and then have other women and other people come around you and help support you when you're having this child. Like I think the more feminist view is to say you are so strong and so capable that you can do this, even if you made a mistake. And then the other, like if you are not in the position of the one having the kid, the feminist position there is to say, I am going to support you, support another woman to help with this child or figure out adoption or, you know, something like that. Um, I think it's taking an easy way out that's costing a life um, with abortion. 
And let me just clarify my stance on abortion. I think that abortion is is wrong. But I also think that the Christian church wants to drive home the fact that it's wrong so much that the message about grace for a mother who has either had an abortion or has gotten pregnant out of wedlock is sometimes missing. So I, I think, yes, we need to emphasize that abortion is not a good choice. But if someone has made that choice, uh, they need to be shown, you know, the grace of God and pointed gently to the right way. The shame involved, I think it can be very, very damaging. And yeah, I just think that although we can drive the point home that it's very, very wrong to have an abortion, we do need to be comforting, I think, to women who have gone through that and made that choice and point them back to Jesus instead of just saying how bad they are, essentially. Um, so yeah, that is my abortion stance. Uh, okay. And other, other legal actions, women got the right to hold credit cards under their own names instead of their husband's names. Uh, they could apply for mortgages. There were marital rape cases that were, um, passed where like there were, they outlawed marital rape and set boundaries and stuff for that. Uh, and then a lot of shelters, popped up with for women fleeing abusive situations. So all of those things, aside from Roe v. Wade, I completely agree with. I think that women should be able to apply for mortgages. Again, what if you don't get married until you're young? I would like to buy a house. I applied to a mortgage before I was married. Um, I do think that marital rape is a thing and abusive situations definitely happen. So I'm all for helping women flee from abusive situations, have their uh, spouses get prosecuted if there is marital rape, um, and we should be financially independent in the event that we're not married. Or, um, you know, it is hard in an abusive situation to get out if you have no money, if your husband is in charge of all the finances. So I do think it's good to be able to hold credit cards in your name. Um, all of that I'm, I'm good with. The legal actions, I'm good with. Uh, but aside from the legal actions, there were more kind of cultural shifts and a thoughts, uh, a process of shifting thoughts surrounding women. So uh, again, it was more about systemic sexism ingrained into the society, which I'm never really a fan of uh, defining something as systemic sexism. I think it's it was more obvious back in the day, so maybe that was okay. Um, but today it's it's interesting to talk about feminism as uh, a systemic issue. Um, the second wave cared more about like racism and black women specifically. But here's my problem with second wave feminism. I saw this article that said that it was deeply rooted in anti-capitalist and anti-racist civil rights movements, which the anti-racist civil rights movement, I'm all for, but the anti-capitalist sentiment you'll see a lot in today's feminism too. I saw a TikTok that said like, if it's not Marxist, then I don't want it, which, you know, now there's all these types of feminism, which we'll get into with this quiz, but it's, a lot of it is now rooted in socialism and communism and just an anti-capitalist rhetoric. So, you know, that's something I really can't get behind. I am very for capitalism. I think capitalism makes everyone better in the society. Um, so 
that is something that I'm not for with second wave. So like first wave feminism, I was like pretty much completely for, um, other than Margaret Sanger's whole thing. Uh, and then second feminism is like the legal stuff I think was great, but the, the anti-capitalist movement is really kind of problematic. Second wave feminism is also where the idea of the patriarchy really came into play. So, um, one of the main complaints was that men were like objectifying women a lot because of things like Playboy and the, um, like Miss America pageant. So the idea of bra burning came from this era where, uh, people protested the Miss America pageant and they threw away anything that was like symbolic of, of that or men objectifying women. So a lot of people either threw away their bras or burned them and they threw away Playboy magazines, which I don't have a problem throwing away Playboy magazines. I do think like over-sexualizing women, you know, is not great. Obviously there's like a biological component where men will be attracted to women, but I think things like Playboy and, um, pornography and stuff like that are very kind of dehumanizing to women and it is pretty objectifying, which this is where my ideas cross, like my conservative traditional ideas cross with some feminism, but a whole other vein of feminism says that like being over-sexualized and choosing your own sexuality. So like if you chose to be a playboy, that's actually women empowerment. Um, think of Megan the Stallion and Cardi B like pretending to have sex on stage and that was seen as women empowerment. Um, even though it was extremely hypersexual and really, you know, playboyish. So there's this is why third wave gets confusing because at the end of the second wave here, they were very against like objectifying women. And now in the third wave, it seems like there's a whole vein that says like actually hypersexualization is very fine and women's empowerment. So gets very confusing. Um, so as we near the end of the second wave, this is also the first time that feminists have, were really portrayed as like angry and man-hating. Um, this carries on into the third wave, but the article that I was reading, which was a Vox article, said that most, uh, that a lot of people didn't identify with feminism because they said that, you know, women are were angry. Like feminists were angry. They were growing out their armpit hair and angry. And that's kind of what we see today. And that's a big reason why I do not identify with the feminist label as well. But that started at the end of the second wave. Okay. So let's talk about the third wave. The third wave is interesting because it can, this is where people sometimes split it up into a fourth wave as well. So it's pretty like agreed upon that the third wave started with the Anita Hill legal case. So what that is, is that Anita Hill in 1991 testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee that uh, Clarence Thomas, who is getting nominated to the Supreme Court, sexually harassed her. So the third wave is all kind of about sexual harassment at work and underlying sexism and stuff like that. Basically, after this case... Uh, there it sparked a bunch of sexual harassment complaints about a lot of powerful men. Um, but I did watch a video where Clarence Thomas was talking about this case and because he was more conservative, he, you know, thought that it was because of that, but he called it a national disgrace, a high tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deemed to think for themselves. So 
he said that he did not do it. She said that he, like, uh, sexually harassed her at work. There was not enough evidence, apparently, so he passed. He was nominated to the Supreme Court. He's still on the Supreme Court. But uh, this case is one that really uh, started sexual harassment claims. A lot of companies started, like, sexual harassment training after this, and a lot of legal groups popped up that made it easier for women to like take legal action against any sexual harassment uh and in 1992 it was actually called the year of the woman because a record number number of female politicians were elected to office and actually diane feinstein was elected in this year who then became the ranking democrat when christine blasey ford made charges against brett kavanaugh and the Brett Kavanaugh case just happened um, in 2018, I believe. And uh, that was quite the quite the case. You know, when you read all these articles about the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas case, you think like, okay, well, she testified that there was sexual harassment. Um, maybe he shouldn't have been appointed and all this stuff. But then you read what they wrote about the Kavanaugh case and, and then you you know, it, it would be easy to come to the conclusion like, oh, Kavanaugh shouldn't have been um, nominated either just based off of what these articles say. But I was watching the Kavanaugh case. I, I listened to it. I was like very aware of what was happening and what she claimed. Like I believed Brett Kavanaugh. There was a complete lack of evidence, yet the media surrounding that case made it seem like it was absolutely a sexist thing that Kavanaugh still got nominated and made her assumptions seem bulletproof. But if you actually watch the case, her evidence was so weak. The story changed. There was like no details. Um, so anyway, um, it's, I, I I wish I was alive and aware during this Anita Hill Clarence Thomas case, because, um, I'm wondering if it was like kind of the same thing against Kavanaugh. And, uh, I wonder how, accurately the media is reflecting that case so this first article says that the third wave is still going however another article that i read said that there could be this we could be right now in the fourth wave with the me too movement and what they called an attack on reproductive rights which is essentially just pro-life people wanting to stop abortion so they call that an attack on women's rights and uh, they say that that might indicate a fourth wave. For right now, I'm just going to say that there's three waves. I think we're still in this third wave of where people are trying to get this underlying sexual harassment uh, taken care of. I have not noticed any have, as I've been working, um, but I think everyone, sometimes a lot of people look for it. Like they try to go out of their way to find something that could be sexist. Whereas like in second wave and, and maybe early third wave, like if there was sexual harassment, it was pretty obvious. So I think we've made a lot of progress. But this is why I think modern feminism is a problem and why I can't subscribe to that belief. No one at this point can even decide what we are fighting for anymore. The Vox article says that the, like the landmark or the defining factor of third wave feminism is the fact that no one really can define it. No one knows when it started, when it ended, what it is. Um, because there are so many different veins of it and strains and 
like there will be white feminists that say I'm like a boss lady I'm I'm a feminist and then women criticize them because they say well the boss lady feminists are toxic to feminism because um boss ladies are just trying to fit into what men do so they're trying to run their own businesses and be successful and make a lot of money and that is what men are expected to do in the patriarchy so by you being a girl boss um you're just fitting in with capitalism so again there is this anti-capitalist very socialist marxist theme in a lot of today's feminism they all kind of are turning on each other and saying well you can't succeed in business or else you're trying to be a man but the other option is not succeeding in business and then you say that you're oppressed so there's so much confusion about what is happening in modern day feminism that that it's just impossible to get behind unless you're so specific about what kind of strain you're in but then other feminists will say that you're not a true feminist because you're not in their you know you're not fitting their idea of a feminist and the reason I think there's so much confusion is because there's nothing to fight for anymore we have all the legal rights that men do we're not considered property anymore we can get married on our own accord we can get divorces we don't have to buy ask anyone permission to do anything we can buy houses we're accepted in the workplace if anything, I think we've swung too far in the direction of women and feminism, especially in male-dominated fields, which ties back to my gender pay gap uh, episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. But women have gender-based scholarships and quotas. Like, if you're going into a male-dominated field like STEM, you are at an advantage. They showed in a study that... Um, if a man and a woman apply with the exact same resume in a STEM job, women are two times more likely to get the job as a man because of gender quotas. So we have swung too far the other way. I don't want to get a job because I'm filling a quota. I would like to get a job because I'm the most qualified. So I think gender-based scholarships and quotas really hurt women because a lot of people assume that a woman just got that job because of a quota and it takes away their accomplishments. I will probably do a whole podcast episode about that. I did some TikToks about it and a lot of people seem to agree. But in short, my stance on that is we don't need things to be 50-50 in every workplace job. We don't need to have women's quotas. You know, we already have equal pay. The law that said that we uh, cannot get paid less based on gender is working. The uncontrolled pay gap is less than two cents on the dollar. And a lot of that is because women are not usually as good at negotiating. So I think the true feminist view is to say, hey, we have the same opportunities as men. We have, if anything, more opportunities than men. So women go out, make good decisions, go get an education, and go into the workplace and go make a difference in the workplace. The problem is we still play the victim in things like like in STEM. People say, oh, well, there's only like 25% women in STEM. So we're a victim because the society, you know, the patriarchy tells you that women can't be in STEM. Okay, that was true back in like second wave feminism or like, you know, in the, in the time that second wave feminism was making a rise. But that is not true anymore. I went through the entire school system. I went through, call like you know, high school and college, and I 
had so many people encourage me to go into STEM and then say, it'll be easier for you because you get this scholarship, you get, you'll get accepted easier into this school. And I don't think that helps women to have the quota. Um, but there is so much encouragement. It's not for a lack of encouragement that women are not going into STEM. It's because of a lack of interest and that's fine. So things do not need to be 50, 50 in the workplace. We can have more, we can have male dominated industries, but we have all the legal rights of men. We don't need to play the victim in areas where we are not victims. And that includes in male dominated fields. And I want to touch on this a little bit too. Um, I mentioned that in second wave feminism, people started viewing feminists as angry and how that carried on a lot today. But this is one of the big, my big problems with feminism. They are feminists, like traditional feminists. When you think of a feminist, they are so angry. I go on TikTok. I know I've mentioned TikTok multiple times today, so bear with me. But I, when I go on TikTok and I go under the hashtag of feminism, it brings up all the videos where people are, you know, that are talking about feminists or they're, um, they are feminists or they're talking about feminism. There are so many videos of people just angrily man-hating. There was a video where someone said, here's all my favorite songs that are anti-men. There's hashtags that are kill all men, hate all men, it is all men. And then if you say it's not all men, they say, well, we never said that it was all men. Like if you're offended and you're a man, when we say like men hurt women, then that's your problem. Um, if you are a good man, we, you should know that we're just not talking about you, which that is not how that works. You can't say men are bad and then get mad when someone says, well, not all men are bad. Um, so it's all backwards. Like if, if a man stands up for himself now and says like, I don't do these bad things, they say, oh, it is you because you wouldn't be mad if it wasn't your, you too. So I just can't get behind all of this like double speak and the anger with hating all men. Like I know so many good men. There are a lot of great men. I can never get behind a movement where kill all men is a hashtag or hate all men um, or these like just angry, angry feminists who just who are just complaining about something that has gone wrong in their life. I think Equal pay is important. Equal uh, rights is important. But I think we have those. So we should be able to go out and try to make our, you know, our life the best it can be because we now have equal opportunity. I don't think there's anything really more to, to fight other than like individual occurrences where a guy is super gross or mean or sexist or whatever, in which case I think we should be telling women and girls to be strong and to stick up for themselves and protect themselves and things like that. So just saying, just crying about how you're the victim and hating all men does not fix our problems. Protecting yourself, sticking up for yourself and not, and choosing to not hang around the types of men who do that kind of thing is what we, what we need to be doing. The other problem I have with feminism is that at least in America, we have all these feminists like ranting and raving about these very, very small issues in America, but completely ignoring what women are going through in the rest of the world. So I looked up what some problems women are facing in other countries. And let me just read a few of these to you. So in Saudi Arabia, women just got the right to vote in 2015, 
last year, uh, women were allowed to go to school or get health care without consent. They just became able to go to, like, the hospital or to get surgery without consent of a male family member or guardian. They still cannot make major decisions other than those two without male permission. And even for the things that they don't need male permission, it's still very, very difficult because of the culture to go make a decision on your own. So it's very culturally ingrained to ask a male uh, family member or guardian about every single decision. Uh, In Afghanistan, Shia family law um, requires that women are... Women must ask permission to leave their home at all times for any reason unless it is extremely urgent. So they need to have permission to go vote, which can easily just be said no to. Like, it makes it very hard to go vote because they need permission from multiple males in their life. In Pakistan, there are no gender-segregated polling stations, and there are also strict rules about male-female interactions, which means a lot of women get barred to vote because they can't interact with males. Um, You know, there's a lot of rules about these interactions, and so they can be barred from voting by husbands or the village elders because they can't be that close to males, and there's no gender-separated polling. In 2018, Syria and Afghanistan were tied as the worst places to be a woman. So this was based on schooling, employment, legal discrimination, and intimate partner abuse. So in Syria, there's a civil war going on. So um, women are being sexually exploited in return for humanitarian aid. And then in Afghanistan, the Taliban government stripped away a ton of rights of women and 80% of their women are illiterate and they have a very, very high uh, rate of dying in childbirth. So there's just all these countries that have real problems that are very, very on the forefront. Like they, they can't, if they can vote, but it's extremely hard for them to vote. Um, Their culture, like, they can't leave the house without permission. Uh, they can't go to school. So, like, there are real women's issues happening in the country. I mean, in in the world. And so, hyper-focusing on these, like, places or these things in America that are pretty much resolved. Like, we have equal rights. We can vote. It's easy for us to vote. All of that is, I think, irresponsible. Like, we should be bringing a lot of attention to some of these countries that women are just being really, really oppressed. Because when we call very small things here oppression, it really minimalizes a lot of actual oppression that's taking place in other countries. I think the current issues in America, like the uh, sexual harassment sort of thing, is really going to be solved only once America gets back to the foundation of biblical teaching. So like everyone goes, Oh, teach your boys to not like assault women. If kids are being raised in solid family units that are based on biblical truths and stuff, that respect for women comes in with Christianity because like Mary is so highly revered. Um, women like Jesus shows such mercy to women that were looked down upon in his age. Like people need to teach everyone to respect people but as the fabric of america like the foundation of the biblical truths of america keep kind of disintegrating i think we're just going to see more and more of these like sexual harassment or sexual abuse statistics go up because 
if you don't have a moral ground to stand on, I don't think it's going to be a very moral country. So I think we need to get back to biblical truths. I don't have a ton of hope that that's actually going to happen. Um, I hope it does. I hope we swing uh, back the other way, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to do is take this feminism quiz to show what different strains of feminism are, uh, because I talked about the waves of feminism, but now, even in each individual wave, there's different types of feminism present within each. For example, the, uh, the belief that legally men and women should be equal is a type of feminism, whereas the kind of Marxist theory that I was talking about is another type of feminism. So this quiz tells you what percentage of each type of feminist you are. Technically, I already took this and I was just going to read my results, but it lost my uh, results when I refreshed the page. So I'm just going to take it with you so you can see my specific opinions. So question one is the emancipation of women is one of the crowning glories of the Western of Western civilization. I guess I'm going to say moderately agree. Question two, I'm going to rapid fire through these since this episode is going to get long. Uh, question two is the idea that men and women should have the same rights is cultural and civilizational suicide. I'm going to uh, moderately disagree. I think once we have like abortion and that's counted as a woman's right, it uh, it is bad for society. But just having equal rights is not uh, is not bad. Question three, the mainstream cultural conceptions surrounding male-female dating and intercourse are constructed by the patriarchy, patriarchy to satisfy men's desires. Uh, false. I think a lot of it is biological. Okay, men's rights activists and male-bashing feminists are equally tribal and regressive in their thinking. Uh, I'm going to disagree with this one because men's rights activists have really been in response to male-bashing feminists, so I don't think they're equal necessarily. Uh, okay, the essences of men and women are so different that it makes no sense to speak of human rights, only male and female rights. Uh, I disagree with that. Question six, it is not possible to be feminist and right wing. I'm going to moderately agree because, yeah, I mean, today's idea of, fem this goes back to the waves, but it, I don't think it's possible to be like a modern day feminist with all of its anti-capitalism stuff. Uh, and be right-wing at the same time. Okay, since men repress women not only in the public sphere but also in the home, feminism should not uphold the distinction between private and political, but in fact regard the private as political. I'm going to strongly disagree because I do not think men repress all women in, in the home as like a given. Sounds like that's a given, so if you're married, you're repressed, and I disagree. Okay, if the use of sex robots becomes a normal practice, this will lead to the dehumanization of women. Uh, I guess I agree. This is similar to like pornography. I think that is kind of dehumanizing as well. Question nine. The state should enforce quotas mandating that fathers and mothers take a roughly equal amount of parental leave. I strongly disagree with this one. It is clearly harder on the woman's body to have a child, so I don't find anything wrong with giving the mom more time off and the dad less because biologically we are different and having kids has a different toll on the body okay gender differences are immutable and men and women have distinct but complementary social roles to play 100% agree uh pornography should not be legal this is kind of 
a question for me. I don't, I'm not really sure how I feel about like things being illegal that I disagree with. I very strongly disagree with pornography because a lot of like sexual abuse and stuff can happen there. However, um, there is like, I've heard valid arguments on both sides saying that it should be legal, uh, just because of freedom of, you know, just freedom, I guess. I'm going to say that I agree that it should not be legal for now. Okay, feminists who don't actually play video games should refrain from criticizing the portrayal of women in video games. Um, I'm going to disagree because I don't think anyone should be should refrain from criticizing anything, even if they're not part of the group. There's a kind of a movement today where, that says, like, if you're not, well, there's a sentiment today that says, if you're not a woman, you can't have an, a, a, an opinion about abortion. I think that's dumb. I think everyone can have an opinion about whatever they want. So, yeah, women can, fem, can uh, criticize portrayal of women in video games, even if they don't play video games. Okay, it is p- not possible to be sexist against men. Uh, disagree strongly. A lot of women are sexist against men. Women can be just as happy as men without a stable relationship. Uh, probably agree. I feel like some women can definitely be happy with without a relationship. If women ran the world, there would be less violence and fewer wars. I strongly disagree. It's human nature, I think, to... Yeah, I, I think it would be pretty much the same. Question 16. Children should be raised in a gender... Oh, children should be raised in as gender neutral a way as possible. Strongly disagree. I think you should raise them as the gender that they are born as. Uh, Contemporary Western societies are to a very large degree defined by the patriarchy. I disagree. The male gaze tendency... The male gaze's tendency to objectify women against their will is a serious problem for women. Uh, A serious problem? Probably not. Um, I'm going to say moderately disagree although I think that it's probably not the best move for men to like be creepy about looking at women like I I just don't think that's going to get you anywhere in your dating pursuits okay men who support female empowerment are inherently weak uh I agree I've seen a lot of like kind of beta guys who uh I agree I think there's a lot of men who are kind of doing it just to get with women honestly and uh they do come across as very weak also female empowerment means so many different things now like i said cardi b defines it as shaking everything and showing everything on stage where i would assume i would think that women empowerment is more like getting a really good job in the corporate world so um women empowerment is such a vague term but yes i tend to agree that men who are so outright in supporting female empowerment seem to be seen as weak okay next question the lack of nuanced roles for women in movies is a serious problem for gender equality i disagree i I don't think women stereotypes in movies are very bad women have just as much of a sense of honor and duty as men i think they can i'm not sure if they always do or if there's any like research on that i'm just gonna say neutral on that one I, i don't know Okay, this question is prostitution should not be legal. Um, I think I'm going to tend to agree. There is a lot of, like, misconduct and stuff that happens in, like, the sex industry, I think. So, I think out of protection for that, you know, it would probably be good for it to be illegal. But 
you know, not everything that's not safe should be illegal. I just think it's also moral. I'm, I'm not sure where I stand. This is where the libertarian in me kind of comes out. But the Christian in me is like, mm, that's not good to be legal. So I don't really know how I feel about that yet. Okay, the fat acceptance movement champions a worthwhile cause for women. It deserves more sympathy and support. I disagree. I think it's counterproductive. I think the like body positivity movement for things that are unchangeable, like uh, disabilities or conditions is is good but the fat acceptance movement is just glorifying obesity that comes with a lot of health problems so um i did kind of a diet culture uh podcast episode so if you haven't listened to that go listen to it but um, i don't think overall that the fat acceptance movement is good for women okay next question it is hypocritical for western women to bash western men for the smallest grievances while largely ignoring the absence of fundamental rights for women in the muslim world i 100 percent agree that was what that entire last segment was about so um agree okay swimwear advertisements featuring excessively thin models should be banned uh i'm not for regulation on having it being banned so i'm going to say moderately disagree i think it's probably good to have like healthy body types but what we've done now is swung from excessively thin models to excessively large models and we're just glorifying another type of unhealthy body so i think we need to find some sort of balance in the middle about featuring women that are like a healthy weight but i don't think it should just be banned Okay, men's tendency to find younger and slender women more attractive than older and plumper women has much to do with the media as it has to do with biology. Uh, I disagree. I think it's biological. Okay, women are generally better people than men. Uh, no, I don't think you can generalize that. Okay, question 29. Women can do every job in the military just as well as a man. I strongly disagree women are not built the same as men so like combat jobs or very physical like labor intensive jobs they're not gonna be as good at women are just as rational and logical as men um i've heard that men are like better in emergency situations but i'm not sure if their rash like if their rationality or logic is has been like studied or i haven't seen um a study on them so I'm going to say neutral on this one. Women are just as independent and risk-seeking as men. I would tend to think, no, they're not as risk-seeking. Okay, the wage gap is a myth. Women already get paid equal pay for equal work. I definitely agree. Giving women the right to vote was a mistake. Oh my gosh. Um, I wonder how many people actually agree with that. I disagree. I, I think having the right to vote was very good. There are only two genders. Strongly agree. Okay, the psychological tricks and manipulation used by pickup artists to get women to sleep with them should be considered a type of hate crime. Uh, I strongly disagree. That's called, like, dating. Um, I don't know. That seems weird. You could consider anything a hate crime if that's a hate crime. Like, there's no way to, to like, rationally divide then what a hate crime is versus not. Okay, sex in blurred lines kinds of situations where the woman does not explicitly consent but also does not explicitly say no is on is morally on par with rape. Uh, I disagree. I think that women have a responsibility to say no when something's uncomfortable. And I know that sometimes you like freeze in bad situations. But I think the more that we encourage people to actually like verbalize no um, is 
good. Also, this is very confusing because a lot of times, like, if it's a blurred line situation where someone doesn't explicitly consent but also doesn't say no, probably neither did the guy. And so it could go the other way as well where, um, you know, like, I, I think if you're going along with explicit consent, you need to make sure both people are. And this question really focuses on, like, the woman needs to consent. But I think you would both need to. Female empowerment necessarily disempowers men. I disagree. Don't think there's finite power. Uh, market economies unfairly favor men's abilities over women's. Uh, I disagree. I think, well, I mean, maybe. I just don't think there's maybe anything wrong with that. Like, if you need to be a CEO, you need to be able to make very quick strong decisions maybe that is more of a men's thing you need to be able to negotiate better stuff like that um women tend to be more nurturing and kind of agreeable and so you know maybe that's not like what ceos are but this one says unfairly favor men's abilities i don't think it's unfair or that we can see a victim uh, ourselves as a victim in that way so i'm going to say i disagree Contemporary Western society is permeated by rape culture. I uh, disagree, especially when you look at other countries that actually have rape culture. That's the problem. Okay, we have three more questions. Gender equality has largely been achieved in the West. Barring certain ethnic minorities, the struggle for equality is as good as over. I 100% agree. White men peddle hatred against Muslims as a way to distract women from the fact that they are oppressed. Oh my gosh, that's like the most liberal statement I've ever heard. I disagree with that. And question 42, Trump's political standpoints and statements are bad news for women in America. I disagree. I voted for Trump and I like him and I think he was very good for women and America. So I am clicking finish to get my results. And this will tell me the percentage of feminism I am in each like strain of feminism. Okay, so let's see what I have. So for traditionalism, I am 73%. Now traditionalism, it gives a little synopsis under each one. And this says, traditionalism refers to illiberal strands of philosophy which seek to preserve what they see as the natural or traditional order of things. In the past, this standpoint was chiefly represented by the early 20th century thinkers. Um, after hiatus following World War II, traditionalism has resurfaced in as a new type of conservatism to the right of mainstream conservatism. Chiefly popular among younger voters who are skeptical of the liberal enlightenment principles that mainstream conservatives accept. That's funny. So, yeah, I guess that's me. This one says that it's very skeptical of Islam, like feminism and Islam. Mostly, though, I'm skeptical about uh, the mistreatment of women in what tend to be Muslim countries, although there's a large strand of, like, of women's rights being very bad in, like, Southeast Asia, which I don't think uh, is as Islam-focused. So I don't know if I agree with everything in there, but, um, but yeah, I'm definitely skeptical of the liberal concepts. Okay, I'm 60% liberal feminism, which means... Uh, it says, liberal feminism refers to feminist philosophy rooted in enlightenment principles. Its classical works were penned by thinkers such as Mary Wollstonecraft, who is who we talked about in the very beginning in first wave feminism. This type of feminism holds that men and women are each other's equals and deserve equal rights. It is this type of feminism that people allude to when they say feminism just means equal rights. Um, 
Liberal feminism believes in equality of rights, not in equality of outcomes. For example, if a profession is dominated only by one gender, it does not necessarily mean that something is wrong. It could be the result of individuals making different decisions in life. So again, that sounds just like me. I think uh, that basically describes me perfectly. I would think I'm even, I'm more liberal feminist uh, based on just the descriptions as opposed to the quiz, but... um, yeah, all about individual rights. Okay, radical feminism. I'm only 22%. So this is where I fall off the edge of feminism. Radical feminism holds that men oppress women through internalized forms of dominance, i.e. the patriarchy. Women must come together and end this oppression by rejecting traditional gender roles. Putting women in dresses, making them more makeup, and so on, makes them sexual objects that perpetuate... Ma- perpetrate perpetuate, sorry, uh, male dominance. Women must refuse to comply with beauty standards. Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. That's, I can see why I'm only 22%. Um, let's see, as opposed to liberal feminism, which takes the individual as its focus, radical feminism holds that since men have oppressed women for so long, it may be necessary to discriminate against men in the process of revolutionizing society. Um, so yeah, I completely disagree with all of that. So makes sense. Other than the objectifying of women, like I do think, you know, like playboy and stuff that we talked about before is not good, which I think plays into both traditionalism and radical feminism. But that's like probably the only reason why I got 22%. Okay. I got 25% Marxist feminism, which I really thought was going to be my lowest, but Marxist feminism says that it holds that the mode of production in capitalist societies is organized in a way that favors men's abilities over women's. Oh, that's why, man, I should have put like neutral on that. As opposed to radical feminists who see patriarchy as the source of gender inequality, Marxist feminists see capitalism as the cause. Marxist feminists argue that the structures of capitalist economies coerce women into assuming responsibilities for unpaid domestic tasks. Okay, so yeah, that's the anti-capitalism stream, and I got 25% because I put that the market favors, I put like middle ground or something on on the fact that the market favors men's skills, which I do think is true. I just don't think it's like a an injustice. Okay, and then I was 25% on, or 26% cultural feminism And cultural feminism holds that women and men are essentially different and that women are generally more nurturing, more empathetic, and less violent than men. Cultural feminists seek to celebrate these qualities, which they believe have been oppressed by men. The goal of cultural feminism is not to bring about some prescripted political revolution, but to improve tolerance and diversity by celebrating women's special qualities and unique experiences. Like Marxist feminism, cultural feminism has in recent years expanded its focus from championing not just the perspectives of women, but also those of sexual and racial minorities. I actually agree with that one more that like women and men are different. Um, However, I guess that one is so low because on some of the generalizations, I was not sure like what women tend to do versus men. So I just put like neutral ground. So that one was pretty low, but I'm more of a traditionalist and liberal feminist, which just means literally legal rights are, um, you know, equal, which I totally agree with and preserving like some gender roles, um, as traditionalist, 
the quiz said I was more traditionalist. However, after reading the descriptions, I think I'm more of a liberal feminist because I do like the traditional stuff, but there's some things that I don't super agree with where liberal feminism is just like, you're an individual, go make individual choices. You don't have to have a 50-50 split in like men dominated fields. You just have to have equal opportunity. So I think that more describes me, but again, I do not feel good about saying that I am a feminist uh, in today's day and age because that means so many different things. There's so much uh, confusion and a lot of times it's either about men bashing, discriminating against men to get what we want, or being anti-capitalist, which none of those things I can get on board with. But I will leave the link to the test uh, in the description below. So go take it and comment below or comment on my Instagram or whatever. DM me um, about what type of feminist it says you are the most of and if you agreed once you read the descriptions or just, you know, if you agreed with any of my descriptions that I just read, go tell me what kind of feminist you are. So um, that's all for this week's episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on Thursday for our Bible episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you liked it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from. And I would really appreciate if you would go rate and review this podcast on the Apple Store. That is going to be how we continue to grow our Millennial Learns family and community. So come back every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for a new episode. And DM me any questions on Instagram. It's at a Millennial Learns. Go check me out. Follow me. DM me questions you have about this episode or any future topics you would like to see me dive into. Have an amazing week, everyone, and I will see you Monday.